Hello and welcome to season two, episode 49 of the Two Hands on the Hurl podcast and the first one of 2022. And I'm delighted to be joined by the Instagram maestro and ever ready Robbie Mansfield. How's things, Robbie? Ah, yeah. Good, TJ. Happy New Year's to you and happy New Year's to all our listeners. And uh, I echo those, uh, them as well. I actually forgot to introduce myself, but if you're listening, uh, you should know me now, or maybe you don't want to know either. I'm TJ Mills hosting this week. Uh, did you have a nice Christmas, Robbie? Yeah, it was good. Uh, lots of uh, traveling around and stuff. Um, my daughter, she uh, had a bit of a cough on Christmas Eve, so oh, that kind of meant we weren't able to travel on Christmas Day. We were meant to go to my sister's house, um, or the, yeah, the kids are meant to be there, so it kind of uh, put a bit of um, a kibosh on that sort of thing, you know what I mean? But um, yeah, it all worked out in the end because um, we just couldn't get a PCR test for her in time um, yeah. to be able to do the whole Christmas thing. But um, yeah, it all worked out well in the end anyway. I know that's great to hear. I mean, it's um, it were, it's kind of scary times in a sense, but maybe not as unnerving as previous because everyone you're talking to is they know someone who's isolating or something but um listening to all the experts anyway 2022 is meant to be possibly the year we'll get through all of this anyway so fingers crossed hopefully hopefully and anyway we crack on and it's great to be able to say that um the GEA inter-county actions returned this weekend Robbie there's Actually, the first game was last night in the FBD League between uh, Sligo and Leitrim. And it was kind of a, what would you say? Um, I can't think of the proper word for it. It was possibly the first indoor game in the GEA in the Connacht Airdrome. Um, What do you think of the idea? Do you think it's good that maybe each province should have a facility like that? Yeah, I definitely think so. Um, you see it in other sports where they have like a dome or whatever. Because, um, like, if they're, if they're, no, like, you, there's a certain element of when you're playing out on the pitch and it's wet and windy, that's fun to watch. But um, if you want to, like, you know, better skill levels and better point taking and just, you know, just lads just kind of really going at it and just making the skill of the game um, and their execution, if you're, you're trying to make that the, the main thing you're trying to watch, if you get me. Um, yeah, so I think there's definitely big pluses to it. I think you, you were saying earlier that the ball was hitting the roof of the dome, so you'd want to have a pretty big dome for it to be a, a proper um, proper setup and stuff. Um, like, it probably wouldn't happen for a long time, but um, you can imagine, like, maybe a dome in Crow Park or, you know, all, or maybe have, have stadiums with retractable roofs or whatever, um, especially yeah. in Ireland, because we get a lot, lot of wet and windy weather and... You know, that could open up the GA calendar as well um, to play in maybe at different times of year, maybe club games or all sorts of different events um, taking place with the, with the Doms would be really good. So, yeah, I'd be, I'd be well up for it. And um, I think it was high scoring enough in the game last night. So that kind of maybe proves that the indoor games could be maybe possibly more entertaining. Um, you know, and like even when we started introducing a lot of all-weather pitches, like that was... Um, really great to get that in winter as well. We had like, you know, a firm, firm pitch and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, like a, a dome could be a definitely a good solution. I think, what do you think? 
Yeah, no, I'd, I'd agree completely with you. I mean, the scoreline last night was 121 Sligo, 117 to Leitrim. And I was just beginning to think there and I was going to pose the question to you. Do you think you could kind of level the playing field a bit? I mean, um, because, you know, some of the weaker counties um, have some really skillful players. And I mean, you take the the factor, the elements out of it and... Um, it could maybe level the game. And I mean, Leitrim are always kind of there, thereabouts. I mean, sometimes they have poor years, other times they can. And Sligo would have been the same as well. So maybe maybe it's a situation that they could kind of level the playing field a bit as well. Um, but I don't know. Um, it's, it's definitely going to benefit um, the Connacht teams anyway. And it looks... Uh, a fabulous facility. We're actually just chanting there. Galway and Mayo are clashing there on Friday night in it. So it'll be interesting to see how that game will go because you'd have really, I won't say bitter rivals, but I mean, they there's never any love lost when Mayo and Galway clash anyway. So it'll be interesting to see if the, the same scoreline would be replicated in it. Um. There's some serious club action taking place the weekend, Robbie. We begin on Saturday. It's the Leinster, sorry, the Leinster club final between Kilmacud Croaks of Dublin and Nasa Kildare on in Croke Park at 5pm. And the good news is that game's on RTE. Nace overcame uh, the Wexford champions and Kilmacud Croaks um, uh, emerge from a big battle against the Leash champions. How do you see that one going? Yeah, I suppose you have to say Kilmacud probably favourites. Um, any team that wins Dublin Club uh, will always be favourites in, in most Leinster games. Um, but like, you know, it, it is tough enough to win Kildare and Nace were trying for a long time. They finally made the breakthrough. Um, I don't think they'll have any fear of Kilmacud. They won't, you know, they probably won't think anything of the name, uh, even though Kim could have won all Ireland and stuff. Um, yeah, I think I think it's going to be a great battle. I think it's going to be real physical, and you know, Nace showed great character against Shamalers to to come back and draw the game and eventually win out in extra time, and that will stand to them in um, in a game against uh, Kim McCood. And they're after having a few weeks break as well, um, you know, because sometimes after uh, games going to extra time and stuff, the the team that maybe would be perceived to be the weaker team would have trouble getting up to that level of intensity the next day out when they play the big gun. So, um, yeah, I think it's going to be a very tight game. I imagine Kilmacud, uh should see it through in the end. Um, you know, they have, they both have both skillful players on both sides, but I just think that Kilmacud have to have a bit of an edge. And, um, yeah, Paul, like Paul Mannion is probably going to be the X factor um, to, to get Kilmacud over the, over the line, I'd say. Do you think um, Nace having the opportunity to play the semi-final in uh, Croke Park, do you think that would kind of maybe level the playing field slightly compared to other years? I mean, we're chatting before about Balakala having to play Ballyhill Shamrocks, which you could say Croke Park is Ballyhill Shamrocks' second home in a sense. They're, they're after appearing there so often. Uh, do you think that maybe Nace the Croke Park factor won't be as great this time, even though it is a provincial or provincial final. Yeah, I definitely think um, them getting the day out in Croker was was a real good idea. And as you were saying, like with um, Balakala, they didn't get that opportunity. So maybe that counted against them when they played uh, Ballyhale. 
but yeah, like it's like the whole the whole setup. We were like going to the game will be different and getting out into the change rooms and all this sort of stuff is like it's part of it. Um and it's something that you have to especially like when you're playing in such an iconic place as Crow Park, like you know, it's it's every kid's dream to play there. And the more times you play there, the more times you feel you're comfortable and that you deserve to be there and that it's a place for you. And rather than like you're in a, you get the imposter syndrome that maybe some teams will get um, that if they're playing in Crow Park and they haven't played there before, they kind of feel like maybe it's beyond them or they, sh- they shouldn't be doing it, you know, but definitely it will, st- it will stand to, to Nace. Um, yeah. And it sh- like, it should be a really great game. Um, I'd say Nace are going to throw the kitchen sink Ash Kilmacut. And if they get an early lead, um, you know, a lot of these winter games can be decided by a team getting an early lead and maybe just staying ahead, you know. So um, it could be critical to open in the opening quarter. Who's ahead of the opening quarter? Um, if Nace can get maybe a two or three points up in that phase, then we could be in for a real cracker of a game. Yeah, I know definitely when we're on about provincial football finals, there's another final taking place on sun- Sunday, sorry, Knock more of Mayo against Park Pierce as a Ross Common. Uh, that game's taking place in Balna at one thirty. Uh, unfortunately, it isn't on television on Sunday for anyone that'll be listening from Mayo or Ross Common. But um, I say highlights will be on TG Cahar on Monday night. Uh, as I was saying, there's also intercounty action taking place. Uh, we won't focus on too many but there's a qu- one tie there I think it'd be interesting enough in the Burn Cup uh, Offaly versus Dublin in, in O'Connor Park uh, Tullamore now I saw an article there over Christmas Robbie and I was asking the question was 2021 a blip for Dublin or is it a kind of a decline um, now no one really Factors results in Doburn Cup. I mean, Dublin often travelled down to Pierce Park or Pierce Park in Longford, and I mean, came out defeated and still went on won all Ireland's Leinster titles and all of that. But still, it's a it's a testy one enough. I mean, awfully after winning under twenty and all of that, but poses the question: Do you think this would be a big year for Dublin because you have Kerry? they're knocking on the door there's a good few young players coming up from minor teams and Tyrone came out of the blue there last year to win all Ireland so do you think Dublin will go all guns blazing kind of set out their stall early or just say here we try and find a few players and say last year was just a blip yeah I'd say the the main goal of the O'Brien Cup is just to get to, to see who's out there to see what the next yeah the next rung of players are. Um, I don't think they're going to go out and try and make a point in the O'Byrne Cup. I don't think it really benefits the team really long-term in yeah. terms of like how many games they win. Um, obviously, the more games they win, the more the more uh, kind of tryouts that the, um, the guys who want to get into the team have, you know the way. So I'd like to see them go on a little, little bit of a run, maybe get to the final. It doesn't really matter if they win or not. It's like it's the only yeah. pre-season tournament. Um, you know, it's nice for momentum maybe to get that you know, but realistically, Auburn Cup and all these sort of competitions are just about finding those new guys, those go- new guys who maybe might be breaking into the squad or might be just there to come off the bench or, or something like that. So hopefully we can get a few guys because we're after losing like serious talent over the last few years, after losing a lot of all Ireland medals. Um, 
know, I think Dublin, like even, I was just thinking about this earlier on uh, in advance of the podcast that, you know, even when Dublin were really bad <laughs> and I was there for a lot of those years, you kind of still would go into the year thinking, you know, we could win the All-Ireland, you know, and maybe that was a bit naive for me. But yeah, um, I think they always have the ability to go out and win it, if you know what I mean. But the yeah. last maybe, you know, decade or whatever was just an exceptional period for a double football. But um, yeah, I think they'll always be dangerous. They'll always be a name there. Um, but I, And they were close against Mayo. They could have put Mayo away last year if it wasn't for some dilly-dallying around in, in the defence that led to a 45. Um, they could have could have easily put Mayo away, been in the final there, and you never know against Tron. They could have even won that, like, you know the way. So I don't think they're going anywhere. My biggest um, thing for them last year in that Mayo game was looking at the bench before the game, there was just no one to come on. There was no one there that you think, right, if we get in trouble, we can throw him on, you know, and he'll do some serious damage. So I think that's what they, they were missing last year. And hopefully we can get a few lads like that or a few of the older guys can move to the bench and come on as impact subs because that was what was very good for Dublin when they were winning all the Irelands was they had the bench to come in. When they emptied the bench, then they'd blow teams away or just have that little bit of extra freshness and stuff. So, um, yeah, it's just all about finding players, really. Just not to drag on too much about it, and it's just something I thought of there. Are they kind of a slight Kilkenny syndrome there? I don't mean the player, I mean the county. What I mean by that is you have success, you lose players, and then you may not have the success that you had at underage that brought those players through. But then also, as you mentioned, in the semi-final against Mayo, and slightly against Kerry in the league as well, if I'm not mistaken, where they reverted to the old kind of possession type game plan, keep possession and drive the defenders and then try and uh, pin off a score where the Kilkenny hurlers, it was similar. They had the bench, they were able to bring on the players, the ball winners get crucial scores in games. And you can kind of see in the past couple of seasons where they were coming up short, they reverted to kind of... um, direct play, play a long ball into the forward line where they used to, which they still do, but not as greatly as they did in previous years, have ball winners win primary possession. Is it a situation that Dublin may have to go into this year and say, here, the possession type game isn't really working for us anymore. Maybe do we have to go more direct or... Do they go with the trade and trust that was there under Jim Gavin and got success for Desi Farrell in his first couple of years? Yeah, I think everyone has really switched to a possession-based uh, style. If you watch a lot of club games, you have the same thing. The, the defensive team re- like retreats into their own 45 and makes it difficult for the other team. So in a way, Dublin adopted this possession style because the traditional Dublin football and traditional maybe, you know, way football is played is with the fastball. And yeah. if you were doing that against these, you know, blanket defence and stuff like that, then you, you would just end up wasting possession and that team would come come against you in waves and pick you off that way, you know. So I think that, you know, if you were to say to a Dublin team, how would you like to play? They would like to play this um sort of swashbuckling style where it's just, you know, fastball and it's all kick passing and stuff like that. That's the way they want to play, but you just can't do it nowadays because 
defensive teams and teams that will just shut you down and they'll they'll smother you and they'll swarm around the breaks and they'll just choke you to death, like you know. So, in a way, it's bad for football that this is happening in general as a general point that this is the way it's moving. But you know, on the other side of it, you can embrace the the kind of tactical, you know. When a player has a ball, they're not doing anything stupid. They're they're taking their time, they're picking out the pass, they're holding possession. So there's an art to it as well. Um, it just doesn't maybe look as fun as uh, kicking kicking the long ball in and the the lad um, catching it and just uh, sticking over the bar like you know. It's not as appealing as that. Um, you know, and traditionalists mightn't like it, but. Um, Unfortunately, that's the way the game is going. And if you if you watch, you know, Mayo, Tyrone, Kerry, they keep the ball just as much as Dublin. Just Dublin had done, had done it so ruthlessly for so long that if it was like five minutes left in the game and Dublin were winning by two points, the other team wouldn't see the ball. And yeah. that's that's just how ruthless they were. And you know, it's horrible to watch, but it's professional, and it's. It's what you have to do to win all Ireland's and what what won them so many all Ireland's as well, like you know the way. Um it's harder to do in Harlan. You can't you can't redo it in Harlan, it's not really possible. Uh, mm. which is part of the magic and the beautiful of beauty of Harlan that you you have to just you can't just keep the possession of the ball. Um but yeah, I think that it comes from like the likes of soccer where a team will just play the ball into the corner and they won't even try and score, they'll just keep possession because they know that will end up winning them the game. Yeah, I know definitely and really valid points there, Robbie. Actually, before we move on from the GA action, there's a Matewater and Toy on Sunday, actually, and it um, has two club mates coming up together Galway versus Offaly in the Welsh Cup, Henry Shefflin versus Michael Fenley. Um, Offaly, after being down in the doldrums for a couple of years, but are really after putting in great work under Michael Dignan as chairman up there and bringing up Mick Finley as well. And Sam Rinda Christy Ring last year as well. Uh, congratulations <coughs> to him. But uh, I know it's pre-season we're mentioning, but there'd be a bit of a bite to this game. Uh, Mick Finley versus Henry Shefflin. And uh, do you think Mick Finley would be saying here, Henry, where I'm going to... Make it hard on you. Oh, definitely. Like, what more motivation does any team need other than Henry Shefflin is on the other sideline? Like, you know, if you can't get yourself up for that, like, you might as well just throw away the hurl, like, you know, because, you know, Henry is the king and he will be for probably all of our lifetimes. And, you know, if the Offaly lads aren't, you know, thinking about this night and day until the match happens and ready to tear strips off the Galway lads uh, in front of Henry, um, they might as well just pack it in, to be honest with you. Yeah, I know I, I'd agree with you. The other games said there are actually two really good games as well, Dublin and Antrim and Leash and Wexford. I think they could be uh, good games as well. But the caveat is it's the Welsh Cup. <laughs> That's it. No disrespect, yeah. <laughs> but it's the Welsh Cup. So, uh, yeah. yeah. Like nobody really cares. You could argue that people don't really care about the league either, but definitely not the, you know, the preseason tournaments, you know. Yeah, but still, it's GA action back, and that's all you that's, want. That's we're happy for it. Well, it, like it is really like it's the true GA action, you know. Like for the real GA fan, the real GA aficionados, like these sort of preseason tournaments. Like if you're interested in this stuff, then you know you're gonna love the rest of it. Like so, um, yeah. Like it's it's obviously not you know the the rip roaring kind of championship action during the summer, but 
you know, I definitely would be looking out for highlights and keeping an eye on the scores and stuff like that. And, you know, it's good. Um, it's a good sign for this new year. GA is back. Yeah, and I won't lie to you, other than the championship, it's the pre-season tournaments I used to love. I used to be at a lot of Auburn Cup games and Welsh Cup games as well. And yeah, I know it's just when you're, especially now when you're just over Christmas, you just want action back. Anyway, we move on, Robbie, to the picks of the week and I let you take it away first. Yeah, so uh, my picks of the week this week... um... Well, I was going to sit down and watch more of The Witcher the other day. And then what popped up on my Netflix was uh, Jimmy Carr. Jimmy Carr, he did like an hour long uh, special on Netflix. And, you know, anyone who knows uh, Jimmy Carr um, just knows that he's nothing but kind of filthy jokes. And yeah. he's just a brilliant comedian. Uh, he's a terrible laugh, can't stand his laugh. But uh, it, like he gets heckled by a few people and he just absolutely destroys them. It's just, I, I think he loves a good, loves someone to really aggressively heckle them because he'll just make their life hell. And then there was a young guy, I think he was a 17-year-old guy in the front row and he was sitting beside his mom. Uh, so you can imagine how that went. <laughs> um, yeah, he's just brilliant. Just a really funny guy uh, all around. And then another one was um, Joe Rogan did an interview um, during the week there with this guy called him was Robert Malone. Um, and he's... Um, he's a medical doctor or whatever and he's kind of involved in uh mnra vaccines and all this sort of stuff um so quite oh, top cool. at the minute and the the original the video that was put up on youtube got taken down so you can imagine you know anything that gets banned is probably pretty good you know the way so <laughs> it's a three hour long uh podcast so it's a bit of a long listen but it's really um interesting points uh from someone who's been you know, on the front line of virology for all his life. And um, yeah, it's just really, really great listen. And yeah, so if you have the time to dedicate to it or maybe just listen to it in chunks or whatever, but um, yeah, it's just really good. Just giving out information and stuff. And, you know, it's not like biased one way or the other. It's just giving out information and stuff like that. So yeah, it's, it's kind of a re- refreshing in the, this time, these times. Yeah, I know it sounds good now. I actually was going to ask a question there, and I, I don't mean to drag it down, but it's just something popped into my head. Do you think when we do emerge from this crisis, the pandemic and all of that, that we'll realise how bitter some people became? Um, like you're on about the, the, scientist, or the virologist there that actually dedicated his life to, now whether you're for it or against it, but do you think when we emerge from it that people will realise here the divide that's after being brought down for people that are for science and against science? Do you think the the divide will stay or do you think it will all be forgotten? Like, Yeah, I think um, this is almost like a separate topic in itself. But I'll yeah, sorry little. about that. <laughs> no, 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 it's a, good, it's a really good question. Um, yeah, I think that... The whole, the whole probably like social media aspect of debates now makes things quite toxic. Um, and it also means that like, you know, you can, you can get rid of opposing views and stuff like that. Um, you know, like, so I suppose like if you're on your social media and someone says something you disagree with, you'll probably just uh, silence them. You'll probably block them or you'll probably whatever. You might go on and call them names or whatever. 
and uh, it only really serves to you know put people into different camps and make people more entrenched and more extreme in their views you know the way so yeah or i think it's always good to have open conversation about any viewpoints i love hearing viewpoints that are the opposite of mine so that i can you know take them on board and you know use them to analyze my own way i think if you know what i mean um and i think yeah. maybe on online if you put up uh, an opinion that is the opposite to somebody else they'll try and cut you down and that only serves to you know drive both of you uh, closer to your own conclusion that you've already made if you know what i mean so yeah i think that's in in a way that's one of the biggest evils of of social media that it allows people to get further down the rabbit hole of you know where they are and to block out you know like the kind of head in the sand you're blocking out all other noise and stuff like that you know the way so and i think you know it, goes, it actually talks a little bit about it on the podcast that you know it came this whole pandemic came at a time you know in terms of the united states because it's an american podcaster they're talking from that point of view where people were already extremely divided over, you know, Democrat and Republican and anti-Trump and pro-Trump and MAGA and all this sort of stuff. So, and then in a way, like in the U S the virus has been uh, politicized as well, you know, so, which is kind of sad to see really, but um, yeah, I think, you know, definitely in like 20, 30 years, people will probably look back and maybe regret how they conducted themselves um, on, on all different sides, you know, the way, cause just, just good and bad people on both sides of every argument, you know what I mean? So, yeah, I definitely think, you know, if you're not learning from your experiences, then you're not you're not doing much good. So hopefully if anyone who's, you know, giving people abuse online for people just trying to do their job and stuff, hopefully they, they're looking at themselves in the mirror and saying, you know, that's really, you know, not on and I shouldn't be doing that, you know? Yeah, I know. Very valid points there, Robbie. Um, Yeah, I move on to the picks of the week. And my pick is a documentary that I discovered. It's on Netflix, but I actually got it on another platform. It's called Dirty Money. And I'm kind of a nerd when it comes to... uh, It isn't all about, say, finance or that, which I would have mentioned before. It's on on about kind of corruption. It's Americanized as well, but... um, was on about the, you know, the emissions scandal with um, Volkswagen and the way that they tried to manipulate um, the, the readings from the emissions. Then there's another one about uh, when we're on a b- vaccine, there it was pharmaceutical industry. Um, uh, Val- oh, I can't think of the proper company's name, so I don't want to say just in case I say it wrong, but... Um, uh, on about the way a company took over pharmaceutical companies and took away the money from the research and development for new drugs and actually increased the price of life-saving drugs and the corruption around that. And then the latest one I saw was actually about um, maple syrup over in Canada, uh, where um, that industry was they're kind of gangsters in it they robbed uh, maple syrup supply and tried to filter them out of america or sorry out of canada and it's really interesting if you're kind of into this um kind of true crime documentaries um taken away from that another program as i would have seen previously i love only fools and horses 
And there was a spin-off from that before uh, the writer of that, John Sullivan, died called Rock and Chips. Um, it features James Buckley that was, you know, is a J in them betweeners. Um, oh, yeah. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> a spit went the wrong way with me. Sorry. He's got the crown, everybody. <laughs> um he plays a young Del boy in it, and uh, Nicholas Linghurst, who played um, Rodney in the original Only Fools and Horses, plays uh, Freddie the Frog, who was actually uh, Rodney's real father. So it's from dating back to when they were younger. Um, there's a couple of, um, uh, there's three episodes in it, sorry, kind of feature length. Um, episodes in it and it's really in it be it's really good watch it's funny as well so if you're into only fools and horses at all uh that'd be definitely worth checking out of course there were another spin-off there with do you know john chalice um who played boise in only fools and horses called oh, yeah. um uh, green green grass so and i i just i don't know why i just love um kind of British comedy like that, um, like Svan the Buses and George and Mildred and Yokes like that. So they definitely be worth checking out if you're the same. Uh, we move on anyway, and it's a brilliant topic that you came up um, to be uh, uh, to be fair and honest. Robbie came up with the topics this week, so um, and they're always good. So uh, great credit there. So I'm going to ask you, Robbie, for your team, our uh, sports personality of 2021. Uh, yeah, so I suppose I'm going to go for the Tyrone football team. And there's plenty of good uh, candidates in there. Um, and I suppose if Mayo had a one deal Ireland, you'd have to go with them. But um, yeah, I think Tyrone really showed great character uh, under new management. And they got the absolute shite bet out of them in the league against Kerry. They shipped was a six or seven goals in the league. And, you know, they they went through the year, you know, in Ulster. It's tough enough to win Ulster. And then, you know, there was a whole COVID business with um with thrown with the um delay of the game and they were nearly thrown out of the championship and all this sort of stuff. And then they went on and they beat Kerry. Kerry who would be, you know, the best team in the country. Um then he went and did a number on Mayo then in the final. Um yeah, so a real kind of coming from nowhere sort of team um, in in lots of ways. Like no one would have tipped them. They probably would be like, you know, maybe top five or six to win the All-Ireland, but you'd be imagining it would be like Tobin or Kerry or maybe Mayo. Um, yeah, so they would be my uh, team of the year. Who'd you go for, Teach? Yeah, I know I'm not robbing you there, but uh, Tyrone were the first team came into me head and they're obvious people that would be well-deserving. Kelly Harrington, absolutely terrific what she achieved in the Olympics. Katie Taylor, um, the the two female cyclists as well. I don't want to disrespect them. I just can't think of their names and I don't want to cheat be looking up to do what they've done in the Olympics as well. But um, yeah, I always had a soft spot for Tyrone. Um <clears throat> all the tragedies and everything they had to overcome throughout the years. And I always liked the honesty of Mickey Hart and to for the county to have the balls of what they done to, um, in other words, not renew Mickey Hart's contract and take a gamble. It was simple was to, 
their great management team went in there, but it was still a gamble no matter what. And um, like after being involved in management, uh, lucky to be involved. Um, there are times that you suffer bad defeats and sometimes you can kind of question and say here, are you serious about this? Um, where where are we going to go to from that? And for that to be coming out and to go on and do what they've done, I t- think deserves great plaudits. So yeah, my team would be Tyrone as well. Um, the big question is, can they continue it on? I know I was saying the same about Limerick last year, but you look at this, some of the, the power outfits that are out there, Kerry, Dublin, Mayo always there, thereabouts. Um, you see the emergence of Armagh. I mean, the big question marks. It, it makes for a real mouthwater in championship this year, but for what they achieved last year, yeah, I'd have to go for Tyrone as well, being honest. Um, so that brings us on, Robbie, to the team that we'll expect big things from um, this year in 2022. So, um. Who would you see maybe as the, sorry, the surprise package or the team that you will really kind of be keeping an eye on for the coming year? Yeah, um, I suppose what I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put all my cards on the table for uh, Cork Hurlers. And I think after losing the All-Ireland, after having no guys in the All-Star team, that they're going to be absolutely uh, mad <laughs> to get a, to get another go at the likes of Limerick and all these other teams to prove how you know that they got got to the final that wasn't a fluke. Because um, I suppose if there's no team, no none of your players in the All Star team at the end of the year, I suppose that means that people think it was a fluke that you got to the final, and it definitely wasn't. They had um, played some great hurling all year, probably one of the most consistent teams. Uh, over the course of the whole season played really well in the league and really well in the championship as well so you know, there's a few other ones you could put in there and I know I know I've picked all GA teams so far uh, but we did open it up to all sports uh, so just to let you know we're not just doing it at the GA so uh, yeah I think yeah I think the core quarter is going to be one to watch and you know this is a pick that really could go either way I could be looking back this pick now next year and be like oh god it was totally off <laughs> totally off target there um, but I'm going to predict big year for Cork and maybe they get the closest to Limerick again and if not I'm going to caveat maybe slightly by saying Waterford hurlers uh, if they get everybody back uh, Liam Cal he turned down the temporary job uh, so he's definitely believes in the Waterford players and I think they have to get over the line sometimes. So, yeah, Cork and uh, Waterford as well. So I'm going to cheat a little bit going with two. Yeah, um, I can't disagree with you again, <clears throat> but I'm going to go for two different teams and I'm going to say one and I'm going to hold my hand up and say there's absolutely no bias here, but I'd be Kilkenny just to see how they go this year. I mean... There's an awful lot of people questioning um, Brian Cody for the past couple of years now, but there's something there that Brian Cody believes in the team that he's trying to build. So it'll be interesting to see how it goes. Um, It really will. They will be a severe amount of pressure no matter what. Um, They're there, thereabouts, knocking for the past couple of years. 
and taking Kilkenny man, Kilkenny supporter outfit, I think that'd be the the one that you'd be looking at. Um the other one which people may laugh is actually to see Tipperary, to see how Tipperary go. Uh, I would say Galway, but um I kind of have Galway and Tipperary in the same vein in a sense, former champions a few years ago. Uh, under new management, Declan Bonner gone into Tipperary, Henry Shefflin obviously gone to Galway. But I think there are more question marks similar to Kilkenny with Tipperary because they're after losing a few players. They have a couple of in, uh, still experienced players there. They're trying to Tipperary different to Kilkenny. They had the uh, under 21 um, success, they had minor. And it'd be interesting to see now we're on about, was it Des Ryan? Uh, If the name is wrong, that went in as the head of sports science and performance development there, we mentioned a couple of weeks ago. His work will be a few years down the line, but it'd be interesting to see how uh, Declan Bonner can uh, get things going there. And similarly with Galway, Henry Shefflin had success with Ballyhill Shamrocks, great player. But Galway are without Joe Canning this year. So it'll be interesting to see how um, those teams will go as well along with Kilkenny. Um, but I agree completely with you. Um, chatting to people around, Limerick are the kingpins and that's it. But once you're at the top, you're the target and everyone will be gunning for you and um, so it'll be interesting to see and it's just going to be a mouthwater in championship and um, hopefully um, I honestly believe that we will be seeing big crowds at games during the summer and hopefully we get the, the weather to match. Uh, when we're on about the new year Robbie um, you being in the field, um, your health and fitness goals for the new year. But I might put a slight twist on it as well for you. Uh, what's the challenges that people face heading into a new year? Because everyone goes to the gym, lasts a couple of weeks. I was the biggest film of it myself. Um, what's the things to watch out for? And what would your own personal goals be for this year? Um, yeah, so the things to watch out for... Um... I think joining a gym in January is probably the worst time to join the gym. <laughs> um, that's because that's when everyone does it. And it never gets to be any more uh, worse than in January. So like January is literally the worst time. Even like people who go to the gym for years dread January because it's all like a big influx of people. The gyms sell a lot of memberships uh, that they probably can't really cater for. So they're really money hungry. And then he had the places swarming with people. And it's a really, it's not a great place to be, to go in and train, you know. Um, yeah. And ironically, December, uh, coming up to Christmas is one of the best times to join a gym because you get a nice feel for the place when it's nice and empty. Um, so, you know, my advice for people always is to join a gym before January so you can get into the run of things so that when it, when, when things hit in January, you don't feel as overwhelmed. Um, yeah, so... Just know that if you do join a gym in January, it's never as bad uh, in February or any of the other months. Um, also, I think people, you know, they try they try and overhaul things um, too too quickly and too fast. They try and do too much, and in the end, they end up burning themselves out because their their plan isn't sustainable. So, 
you know, if you wanted to start into exercise, maybe just leave it at, with the exercise and maybe don't try anything with your diet. Because if you try and do everything at once, then you'll end up doing nothing, if you know what I mean. So just yeah. concentrate on that one thing, you know, even change one thing a week or one thing every two weeks and keep it nice and slow and steady. Um, yeah, and for me, I, I just love training. So I just I just like to go training just to, just for my, my own sort of mental health as well. So in terms of goals, like I would like to maybe lose a few pounds, get the body fat down a little bit uh, and just keep and just but not do anything radical because I've done things in the past where it was quite radical and it works really well. But then over time, you just go back to your old habits. So I want it to be like a sustainable thing as well. Um, yeah. And when I first thought of the topic, I was just thinking about yourself, TJ, and, and the transformation you've had. Uh, and obviously you've gone through, you know, tremendous weight loss and then you've kept it off. So I was going to come at it from the angle of yourself there. And what do you, what, what was the kind of moments that really made you like motivated or was it a series of things? Um, and what have you done to kind of keep the motivation going to get me? Um, and I, I will be honest in this. It was, I signed up with Liam. It was a program Liam was doing and it was when I done it, when I signed up, I was scared um, because there were kind of the peer pressure there. Now, it was all in my head, the pressure. Um, and it was just a matter of once I got going. Um, now, I won't lie to you. It was the fear is there of not reverting back. It's it's as simple as that. Um and that's that's what's keeping me going. Um, and there are times I won't lie. I'm, I'm sorry I done it. Um, then there are times I'm delighted I done it. Um, and the motivate it 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 it's like um, the only way to describe it. It's like a drug. That um, now I, I never got never got involved with drugs or anything like that but it's you get a buzz from it like um you get into a routine you're watching calories now the biggest thing i would tell people to watch out for because i'm an absolute villain for it and i'm going to have to seek advice on it is knowing when to stop um and it's a matter of the advice you give there is um you're watching calories but it's no to when to stop doing it um and that's that's where i'm going to have to go i have a target set some people are saying it's too extreme and all of that but it's a personal target and i'm going to go and try and reach that but the main thing is keep going and um yeah i know it's 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 strange. It's strange. I still look in the mirror at times and still see the way I was. So it's a, uh, yeah. And is that kind of a motivating factor for you? If you know what I mean? You kind of, yeah. You know, no. When you look in the mirror, you see where you used to be, if you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it, it it's just strange. I mean, if I was to give any advice to anyone is, psychologically prepare um 
and I didn't do it. And I don't mean and I'm not going mental health aspect or anything like that far from it. But what I mean is actually prepare like I would have researched in surgery and all of that. It was always a, but I never knew you could achieve it naturally. I, I won't lie to you. There's excess skin. Thank God it's tightening a good bit. But um, it's a matter of just mentally preparing yourself for it and seek advice. Um, I sought advice and I could always and great credit to Liam and yourself. You always answered questions and all of that. But I know I done it the wrong way. And I hold my hands up. I done it the wrong way. I crashed dieted at times. I know even maybe still I'm eating too few calories than I actually should. And but it, it, it kind of worked for me. I didn't put my health at risk. Thank God. And that's that's the but it's to get guidance and psychologically prepare yourself for it. And that's the warning I would give anyone. Um I'm no martyr. Um, I still get a graph for the likes of a takeaway, but I just can't eat them anymore. I mentally can't actually eat them. Um, so, but you start to discover how good food tastes when you're coming away from that as well. So it's psychologically prepare yourself and get advice from people because I done it and I, I not taken any praise or whatever. I don't like it because the biggest obstacle I find is when people actually start to praise me, I became more self-conscious of it, um, of actually where I was. So if you're happy in yourself, gradually build yourself up, um, but prepare yourself because one thing that I would have when I was researching about surgery is the one thing they actually get you to do is actually um, get yourself mentally prepared uh, for the transformation that could occur. Um, now, luckily, I'm still in and, and around the same weight as I was before Christmas. I did splash out, but not that much. Maybe I should have um, splashed out more. But it's um don't let it be a burden uh i love walking i love exercising um i I'm, dropped off there sorry oh sorry robbie um it, it's just don't let it be a burden don't overburden yourself um i have to go every day i just love doing it but it's just prepare yourself and get the proper advice that's that's what i'd say to anyone Are you there, Robbie? Yeah, I'm here. Sorry. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I oh, know. Perfect. I oh, know. Sorry, I dragged on that further than I wanted. But uh, yeah, no, I, I won't lie to you. I still don't see. Personally, I don't see. They are a transformation there, but I, I just, I find strange talking about it. I won't lie. Oh, sorry, sorry to put you on your spot there. Oh, no, 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 no. And I don't mean it that way. Oh, no, jeez, no. And if it helped anyone at all, I know, and like even but um yeah it's it's just strange because when you're a certain size for so long it's um it's it just takes adjustment so that's why i say uh, mentally prepare yourself 
but it's yeah. definitely worth doing. Yeah, definitely. Good point, sir. Uh, we move on anyway, Robbie, and thanks a million for that. And sorry for dragging on, especially to listeners as well, but hopefully it was some help. And uh, I know um, with the advice that Liam and Robbie gave myself, it's invaluable. So definitely um, check in with experts because uh, they will set you on the right path and uh, set your long-term goals as well. Uh, we move anyway, anyway to soccer and on about big drops. Uh, Manchester United. Um, is it a is it a, an over exaggeration so far that Ralph Ragnick lost one his first game as Manchester United manager, and they're already gunning for him, Robbie. Uh, it's no over exaggeration. Um, it's you know, I suppose with a new manager, you generally get a bit of a bounce, but they seem to have um, not really got gotten anything um, anything from them. I know they had a few chances last night before Wolves scored. Um, yeah, I don't know, kind of was it two draws and a defeat or something like that. So yeah, it doesn't look good at all. I think you do have to give the manager a bit of time, you know, but I suppose. Man United were hoping in, hoping for um, the new manager to you know, get a few wins or whatever early and, and get them going again, but it's not really happening. So, like, you can probably say he's under pressure already. Um, I think they will give him time, you know, like, but they definitely need to start winning games and scoring a few goals and stuff. I think that's been their major issue. They haven't really scored a lot. Uh, under Ole, they'd be up and down scoring, but they concede a load as well, so... Yeah, sometimes as well. Like I suppose they haven't they haven't conceded. They probably maybe he's probably maybe improved the defense a little bit um, in terms of conceding goals. Um, so like sometimes it can it, you need to go through that kind of sticky period where you're just getting used to the new system. But uh, I don't think it's any lie to say that he's under pressure already because um, the expectation at Man United is massive. Um, and I know he's been signed on to be like a director of football after he finishes up as manager, but that could all come to an end pretty quickly. Um, yeah, so, yeah, like I don't remember, I think I sent you a post yesterday about like, you know, how he, he really kind of came from nowhere for the United job. And, you know, the yeah. fact that he's not doing too well is probably no big surprise. But, um, you know, I suppose he, like you have to give people time. Um, but, you know, He's gonna have a pretty. He's gonna. He could have the shortest stint as manager if he doesn't start turning uh, results around pretty quickly. To now, being honest, Liverpool fan, yeah, you'd be. But I mean, any true sporting fan wants to see the top teams back up, no matter what. I mean, being a Kilkenny fan, you'd want to see Tipperary competitive because you want to take them on, and it's the same Galway, no matter what sport. But. Is is Manchester United too focused on managers because the same players threw Jose Mourinho under the bus, the same players that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer showed loyalty to threw Ole under the bus. And now Ralph Ragnick's coming in and he's going to be the third manager in the space of, what, four four years that's going to be thrown under the bus. I mean, it's all well and good, and I'm not going to go on a Roy Keane rant here because I don't personally, it, it doesn't affect. I used to be a Manchester United fan when I was very, very young um, because friends were, and then I 
came to the colony of Liverpool as early, if say, early teens and been Liverpool ever since over 20 years now, or over well over 20 years now. But is it a situation that they have to look at the players and say, here, the likes of Harry Maguire, the likes of Ronaldo, who's saying that he isn't happy there, that he might, may want to leave. Um, oh, the likes of Rashford, I mean, the great work he does off the field, but on the field, questions can be asked at times. I mean, there's so many other um is it a situation that Manchester United are going to have to just do a clear out and actually say here, give a manager a fresh slate and say here, um, you can't judge on the current with the current crop of players that's there because they're after throwing how many managers under the bus? Yeah, I think the probably the biggest issue for United is their defence. Uh, like overall, for the last few years under Ole that's been their main issue whereas you know I know they signed Varane so Varane has passed his peak um, I don't think you need probably two really solid centre halves there um, to start picking up uh, the results you need and then defensive midfield as well like you know McTominay and Fred are, they play the odd occasional game but in general they've been woeful uh, under Solskjaer um, so I, I think anyone if you ask anyone what players do United need to sign? It's probably one, if not two, centre halves and a decent uh, defensive midfielder. Uh, maybe not quite up to the level of Kante because there's only one Kante, but someone who's in that sort of mould um, who can drive your team forward. You know, because up front they've got, they've got a serious amount of firepower. Um, yeah. The Rashford misfiring. You could question maybe Cavani. Is he? He's not really long term uh, signing. I think you know Ronaldo has a few years in him if he has. His harsh finish um, at Manchester United, but um, if he's unhappy, he just let him go because there's no real point. Um, yeah, so there was a couple of signs there that were made, maybe not for the future and more for the more to sell jerseys and stuff like that. But um, yeah, you know, if you ask any any fan of any team, what do United mean, need? And it's centre half, uh, defensive midfielder because that's they're shipping a lot of goals there. And you could even, like, you know, De Gea, he's doing reasonably well. I think they say De Gea does well when United play badly, and he does really badly when United play well. So, yeah, <laughs> I, don't, I think long-term you need to you need a, a better solution at goalkeeper as well. Um, and then for the, the guys up front to, to gel, like, there's probably too many options uh, offensively. Um, you know... And is like the style, the pressing style, really going to suit this United team? I don't know. But um, yeah, I don't think they need a huge clear out. I think there's a lot of good players there. Um, but like they're just, they're just leaking too many goals. And, you know, Harry Maguire, he looks brilliant when he plays for England because he's playing a different style of game. Yeah. Whereas if you're asked to play for Man United, you're asked to play a completely different style of game. And I, I just don't think he can do it. It's similar to. Uh, Maybe Shane Duffy, Shane Duffy, who was at Brighton and he looked really well, brilliant player. And then he went to Celtic and he just wasn't at the races at all because when he's playing for Brighton, Brighton are the type of team that will defend and they don't, they don't really have a lot of the ball. Whereas Celtic, when they play all their games, they're nearly going to have the majority of possession. So he's not really used to that sort of style. 
So you could argue it's similar for Harry Maguire, that he, he works really well in that English system and Gareth Southgate has him playing really well. And the same with Shaw as well. Um, but just maybe in terms of Manchester United and the games they have to play and they have to go out and dominate the, the games, um, I just don't think they're the right players. Um, and Varane is, you know, his past is peak, you know, the way. So, you know, I was actually delighted to see Phil Jones come back in. Uh, he was after being out for a long while with injury. I think it was two years. Um, and he's always great for the memes. I know he gets a lot of stick as being a horrible defender too. Like, but um, I think it's a really kind of good story for a player. He hasn't played in two years for him to come back in. And, you know, a lot of people were saying online last night that he was one of the best players in a United shirt. So fair play to him. Yeah, I know I'd agree completely with you there. Um, yeah, I just, I don't want to drag on too much on it. But personally, I think... Um, there's too much of a focus within Manchester United signing big names. And the one thing that you have to be really wary of um, when you be signing a big name is the drama or the connections or the, what would you say, the Oma that can kind of, or Aura that can kind of come with them. Um, because an awful lot of the big, names when things don't go their way they drag the morale of the team down and maybe if Manchester United went and I'm trying to think of a good example um like we're actually going to go on about Lukaku with Chelsea and you see the 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 decision Tuchel had to make uh, I with the comments that uh, Lukaku made but that's the kind of drama and that's what you have to contend with is it a situation that say for the likes of Manchester United they have to go maybe real only one kind of comes to mind is maybe likes of Leicester Liverpool they they have hard workers I mean, there's you wouldn't consider really high-profile household names like Sir James Milner, Jordan Henderson, uh, Madison of Leicester. I mean, they they wouldn't be really what would you say Ballon d'Or um, type players, but still they're just honest. And is that the problem? Is that what Manchester United do? Just have to sign honest players. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think maybe is Pogba a bit toxic for the dressing room? Um, I think he, since he, ever since he's came in, there's been a whole issue in the United dressing room. So yeah. I'm sure a lot of players look up to him. Uh, and he's got an amazing, impressive uh, haul of trophies already, you know, but um, he just yeah. hasn't done it for United. And there's been lots of question marks over his attitude um, with the team, you know, but... Um, yeah, I think like for, like from where Man United were for so long and so dominant, you know, maybe it's just strange seeing them fall so far uh, for people of our generation, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, I know, definitely. I brushed on it there quickly, Robbie, and not to drag on too long. And I'm on about me not dragging on too long. Sorry, just to clarify that. Um, Lukaku and the decision Thomas Tuchel had to make, was it the right or the wrong one? And... Um, is it a situation that players can kind of 
is it a matter that they can't speak out or should they be lauded for speaking out um, where there could be times that players kind of hide the fact away from supporters? Um, no, I kind of come at it from the other point of view where I don't think he should have said anything publicly because um, it just makes himself look like an idiot. And yeah. even he was, he was uh, praising Inter and Inter were saying... You know, basically, we don't need you. He was saying he wants to go back to Inter, and Inter were like, "Yeah, we don't actually need you," sort of thing. So I think they they asked the Inter Milan chairman about uh, his comments um, about going back to Inter, and the Inter the Inter um, chairman was like, um, "We have Jacko, and he's doing the same job as Lukaku was last year, and he doesn't cost as much." So it's basically saying we don't need him. Um, yeah, it was really odd. Um, you know, if you're unhappy at the club, you go and talk to the manager. Uh, you don't go out and talk to the media. Um, like that's, you know, that's not a great, it's not going to be the best look for the other players in the dressing room and stuff. And he got dropped for a really important game. And I was glad he was dropped. He was in, he was out of the squad altogether. Um, because, you know, if you're, if you're at a club, you have responsibility to, to keep things you know in-house or whatever like if you have other complaints maybe that you know like in terms of like getting abuse or you know racism or anything like that then you should go public with those sort of things but um yeah I think with the issues he had he shouldn't have went public he should have went to Tuchel he should have went to people at the club and kept that in-house uh, I think he got he got um fined uh, half a million was it pounds or euro for yeah. for the outburst, so that was a costly enough um, sort of outburst for him. Yeah, so I think he's he's had words with uh, Tuchel, and they're, they've agreed to move on and stuff. And you know, I think maybe he's not; they're not playing the particular style that he's used to, Lukaku. But um, you know, like he can adapt. If you're a good player, you can adapt and stuff. Um, like he was shooting the lights out at Inter, and he, he's played really well at other clubs and stuff. Um, Ironically, when he's been in a Chelsea shirt, he hasn't been that consistent. But um, he's a he's a really you know impressive uh, dominating figure. He's so physical and so fast, um, and I think he could be really really big in the Premier League and top scorer some years if uh, he puts his mind to it. Um, but so we'll wait and see what happens um, for the rest of the season, and you know potentially in the summer maybe he might be uh, making a move out of there, maybe to City or something. Yeah, I know very valid points, Robbie. And yeah, I'm not just saying it for the sake of saying it. Yeah, I'd agree with you. I, I never agree with um players speaking out against management. Um do it privately. Um I one thing I hate actually is and I I saw it happening um both inside and outside of management teams is where players don't speak at all, but I always try to encourage to players if you're unhappy come speak to the management and that's what they're there for but um going out kind of the back door way of doing it yet it was wrong uh just finish up on the soccer robbie anyone will anyone stop man city from claiming the premier league back to back uh yeah it looks to be all but over uh you know pep when he gets uh, ahead around christmas time new year's daytime uh he just blows everyone away from there um yeah, I think, you know, barring a bit of a disaster, it's cities to lose. Um, like, and as well, like Chelsea and Liverpool drawn was probably the best result uh, for a city. 
because they, yeah. they both were moving as close to City. So no one made a big jump towards City and United are in the doldrums and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, I think, you know, potentially Chelsea can get back on the road and Liverpool, if they can be a bit more consistent as well, they could push, but it's going to take, um, you know, City to lose maybe three or four games. I just, I don't, I can't really see it happening. I think they'll lose a few, a few games, obviously, but um, if they can pe- keep putting away the small teams and just uh, keep uh, parity with the bigger teams, then they should they should win the league handy enough, I'd say. Yeah, unfortunately, I have to agree. And um, I think, yes, a few weeks ago, I thought Man City would claim it. Um, I think Liverpool are a couple of players short at the moment. And... Um, the uncertainty around Mo Salah, I know it's it shouldn't be going on this long. Being honest, if they're not going to pay, I'm sorry. It's just let it just end. It's as simple as that. If they're going to pay, um, now I'd agree to a certain extent that Salah shouldn't dictate what he should be paid, but just put an end to it. But yeah, I'd agree with you. Uh, Top score in the Premier League, though. Should you not be able to dictate what he wants? Yeah, it's true. But I mean, when we're on about Manchester United, there, when Salah came to Liverpool first, he wouldn't have been known when he was with Chelsea. He wouldn't have been known as the top player he is now. Um, but I mean, they are a certain warning there that players can perform to their highest level at certain clubs. Um, they are, I mean, Coutinho showed um, Sterling to a certain extent with Man City. I mean, sometimes you can peak at a certain club. Um, now, Salah is an unbelievable talent. He's a legend and there's no taking away from it. But it's a bit talking about Lukaku, the, his management, Salah's management team spoke out a bit on about and... Uh, I don't mean the Liverpool management team, I mean agents and all of that. There's talks in the media, it's any um, analysis you hear before matches, especially on, say, the likes of BT Sport or on about the uncertainty around uh, Salah's contract and all of that. So it's not healthy within a club. So uh, personally, I hope he stays there for life um, because I think he's an exceptional talent, but I would like to see it ended. Um, one way or another, being honest, and I hope's the right way, uh, which is that he stays at uh, Liverpool. But sorry, I dragged it off on a tangent there where we're on about City, and I done that, and I take, uh, but yeah, I can't see anyone stopping City, and I think if anyone, a club with that have money to spend, if they're looking for a template, should be looking at City. It's as simple as that. As much as. You may load them at times. Uh, they show how it can be done. The big question mark is whether they can do it in Europe, and that's the that's what they need to do for uh, their legacy. But um, yeah, in the Premier League, no one's coming within an ass's roar of them this season, unfortunately. Uh, we move on anyway, and the Six Nations will be coming back soon. But the uh, rugby interprovincials took place the weekend. Uh, unfortunately. A further Leinster game was cancelled due to COVID cases in Dulster camp. Uh, but one game took place, Robbie, Connacht and Munster, and it was the result that many people may not be expecting. A Bundyaki try was the difference. Connacht defeat Munster 10 points to 8. Uh, did you get to see that game at all? 
Uh, yeah, seeing the highlights of the game. Uh, yeah, seemed to be a very uh, physical enough game. I think there's a bit of uh, a bit of fisty cuffs as well in the game as well. There was uh, lads uh, getting to know each other quite personal. But yeah, I always like to see Connacht doing well. I like to see yeah. all the Irish uh, provinces doing well. I thought that Ulster were meant to play Munster this weekend as well, but maybe that could be in doubt as well. Um, but yeah, like the Interpro games are really good and it's kind of setting them up for the next round of the, the European uh, rugby tournament as well. So yeah, like like it's a great to see Connacht win uh, and especially in those sort of games uh, when there's a lot of decent players on display as well, like in a way. So um, did you catch the game yourself? I did, yeah. I got bits of it as well. Um, yeah, I won't lie to you. I have a great regard for Connacht. I think they were the poor relations of Irish rugby for a while. Um, and I mean, but no matter what, I, I can't think of their stadium in Galway. It's escaping me at the moment. But sports, no ma- ground. sports ground, sorry. No matter what team goes to the sports ground, they always have a real hard battle there. And it's just honesty. It's as simple as that. It's the honesty of Connacht. And um, maybe some soccer clubs were unabated. Maybe some soccer players can kind of take a bit from the honesty and endeavour that can be from their counterparts in the rugby game um, for their honesty and endeavour. Uh, just a quick question for you, Robbie. Do you think the uncertainty around the Munster management team, John, uh, Johan Van Gran and Stephen Larkham, both are going to depart Munster now? Their um, their forwards, sorry, their forwards coach, um, Graham Rowntree, uh, said he will stay on for I think another two seasons. But do you think the uncertainty? around the future of the Munster head coach. Now, one thing Graeme Rowntree said today that he hasn't ruled himself out of taking on the head coach of Munster. I know they uh, gave a, a call to uh, Ron O'Gara as well, but he's staying post where he is at the moment. He's going to see out his contract. But do you think that could have unsettled in Munster, not taken away from the great Connacht win, but... Are Munster in a bit of butter here? Um, yeah, like I think these these interpro games are always going to be a bit close. Um, but yeah, I suppose like Munster being a very traditional club, um, they might like things to be a bit more set. And I suppose when there's a, a manager that's on his way out, you know, you're you're not really playing for them for next season in terms of keeping your spot and that sort of stuff. So. Yeah, but I you imagine that all these guys want to win matches and stuff like that, so they'll yeah they'll row in behind him even you know even though he's leaving and stuff. Um, yeah, but I think maybe the maybe is it from the coach himself? Is he a bit like Asher? I'm leaving anyway, so there's no point in uh, putting the effort in, and maybe that's filtering down to the players a bit. But um, yeah, you imagine it's like rugby is not like soccer in that players just down tools if they're unhappy in soccer and. Maybe someone might say that's an unfair comment uh, about soccer over rugby, but it definitely seems to be in, in soccer that, you know, if players don't like the manager, they'll just stop playing. Whereas in rugby, it doesn't really seem to be the same way because I suppose because rugby is more of a collision sport. And, you know, like no matter what, you, for your own safety, you have to be putting in a huge effort because uh, otherwise you're just going to get blown away by the opposition. So, yeah, I think maybe it's probably a bit more difficult to do that in rugby, but um, 
Yeah, I suppose maybe the whole atmosphere in the club could be filtering down, uh, depending on how um, the interactions are with the players every day. But um, you imagine long-term Munster will bounce back because they're just such a strong club, though. Oh, yeah, no, definitely. And, I mean, you look just what, about 15 years ago, they were the kingpins. And um, it just shows once you get a settled coach in, I mean, Leo Cullen with Linsu, you see what you can do. Um, oh, oh, geez, I can't think of his name before that. The Irish head coach went back to New Zealand. Uh, what's Joe Smith. Joe Smith. Uh, you see the work that Joe Smith um, done there as well. So... I mean, uh, anyway, we move on because the Six Nations will be coming up and the European uh, Cup cha- or the European Championship as well in rugby will be coming up in the coming weeks as well. So we will feature those. Uh, one controversial thing that came in today, Robbie, and I don't know what to think about it. I won't lie to you, is the minimum pricing for alcohol that sees. And the cost of a gram of alcohol gone up by 10 cent to 10 cent a gram, which means that the average can of beer or lager or cider would be 170. Is this the end of a bag of cans, Robbie? Is it wrong time and or is it for the wrong reason as well? They're saying it's to reduce alcohol consumption, but... Is it just going to drive people up the north or is it going to drive people to other drugs? Yeah, all of the above, I would say. Um, <laughs> I would definitely think that it's extreme, like whatever, you know, you could argue about the alcoholism and stuff and the benefits of doing it now or whatever. But I do think like, you know, for the government, it's not like a good PR thing. You know, everything is going you know, pretty much uh, tits up with COVID at the minute. And, you know, people are maybe having to isolate, stay more time at home. And now they're going to have to spend more for for a few drinks at home. So, yeah, I think it's definitely bad PR for the government. Um, but the thing is like that, it will probably primarily affect people who aren't really that bothered with voting. Uh, to be honest, you would imagine that. You know, this might, maybe this sounds bad or whatever, but you would imagine that the people who are buying the cheaper drink aren't voting as much as people who are buying the more expensive drink. Um, you know, I think that probably would bear out statistically that that's probably what, what would happen. Um, and as well, what you're probably doing is you know, they want to have an effect on alcoholism. Um, but like, you know, you're, you're like, you might have a bit of an effect there, but what you're really going to affect is uh, like an alcoholic trying to afford alcohol for himself. And if they have a family, then that could be taken away from the family as well. So, yeah. and like, you know, yeah. anyone who's been addicted to anything, they will do whatever to get their fix in other way. So it doesn't matter who it hurts and stuff like that. So yeah, and I, I was listening to them talking about it on the radio earlier on and I was saying that, you know, in Scotland they did this and that drove more people into drug addiction uh, and maybe possibly more people into poverty as well. Um, yeah, and as well, it, it is kind of punishing the everyone for the sins of the few, you know, the way. So, like, everyone has to pay more for drink because of other people who have an issue instead of maybe funneling more funds into helping people uh, with addiction to alcohol and drugs and all sorts of other stuff. Um, yeah, like hope, like hopefully it has the effect the government wants, 
Um, you know, but I would be probably myself a bit resistant to, you know, just trying to price your way out of these sort of things. Um, and what I could do as well, I could drive up the points, drive up uh, the cost of um, other drink, you know, drinking pubs and stuff like that as, as the lower option becomes um, like less of a, like if you were to raise the price of the higher priced alcohol, then you'd make the new, the new price for the cheaper stuff seem more attractive the other way. So you imagine the more expensive stuff is going to get more expensive as well. So yeah, I can't see it working how they, they think it's going to work, but um, you know, hopefully it does, but I, I can't see it happen. Yeah, no, I'd agree completely. It's uh, I'd agree. I think it's the wrong time. And um, I know the lobbyists that are pushing for it and I know the implications of it. I've seen people that went to the wrong side of alcohol um, and it's not a great site. But yeah, it's punishing, punishing the innocent for the sins of a few. And I'd love to see if the money was actually filtered in, if it is introduced or no talk about it being introduced, it is introduced if the money is streamlined to help people with addiction, I'd be all for it, but it won't happen. It's as simple as that. It won't happen. It will go into a central pot and that's it. It's going to drive people across the border, which happened before. And that's, that's the way it's going to go. And the, the taxpayer will lose out no matter what. So um, it's poor timing and, especially when they're closing public houses and restaurants at eight o'clock in the evening. Um, it just doesn't make sense. And um, yeah, I, I won't go any on any longer. Um, it's if you want to have a drink, you're going to buy it. It's as simple as that. It's um, and if it was the situation that they will reduce the price of the drink in the pub where it's a controlled environment, and maybe put severe sanctions on public house if people are, um, if it leads to antisocial or whatever, I say the industry would welcome that um, because people want, it, publicans and restaurants want people in, so whatever can help with that. But yeah, I, I just, I think it's an easy measure and I can't see it working out. Anyway, we move on, Robbie, to the world sports, and there was some action in the NFL over the past week. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's kind of a good bit going on there. Um, what was it? Um, yeah, so it was the um, the Pittsburgh Steelers. Um, so their quarterback, he's probably played his last game uh, as a Pittsburgh Steeler, uh, Ben Roethlisberger. Uh, Big Ben is what he's known as. Um, so you could also argue that he maybe pushed his retirement on maybe a couple of seasons longer than he should have, because uh, he wasn't the most mobile of players uh, towards the end. But uh, they still have a sh- chance of making the playoffs. Um, they've got one more, one more game to go. So hopefully, hopefully for their point of view, um, they get there. Um, but yeah, it was it was a real. It was nice for him to get a win on his last game, and at the end of the game, the ball was intercepted, so that. Uh, Ben could go out and he'd take a knee on the last play. So it's basically, you know, if you watch NFL, like taking the knee is basically like you've won the game. You just kneel down and then the clock runs out and then it's over. 
So, yeah. and he was really emotional uh, all through that process, you know. So that was um, yeah, kind of a big deal. And he won two Super Bowls, two Super Bowls out of three. Uh, so that's a pretty good record. And probably going to go to the Hall of Fame as well. So, um, yeah, like the thing is as well, like what you kind of like about him as well is that he's not like your the, the typical guy who looks after himself. He's not like a Tom Brady who looked after himself like for his whole career. Like uh, Big Ben was... You know, he's probably no stranger to a bag of cans himself and that sort of thing. So he had that kind of, he just looked like a regular guy. And he also had a great ability when he was being tackled. He just shrugs people off because he was so big. Um, yes, that was interesting. And another thing that happened, um, I don't know if you caught this, but um, a player, Antonio Brown, he plays for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He took off all, he took off his shoulder pads and all his gear and he threw it onto the ground. He threw some, some stuff into the crowd uh, during the third quarter of the game. And then he proceeded to leave the building uh, shirtless. Um, so that produced lots of great memes as well. So basically, Antonio Brown, he's had a lot of, he's had a, you know, kind of a colorful past at every team he's been at. And they were kind of saying that they did well to get this long out of him without him doing something. Um, a bit off the wall, but he's been cut from the team now. Um, the kind of controversy seems to follow him everywhere. And he was only saying there last week that the media create all the drama around him, but it seems he creates a good bit of him himself. Um, the killer thing for him, though, is that if he had caught five more passes, scored one more touchdown, uh, he would have got like a million uh, US dollars in bonuses. So he's kind of after uh, shooting himself in the foot there. Jeez. But uh, yeah, that was kind of. Yeah, so that was um, kind of big news over uh, stateside as well. And another thing is, I don't know if, you, if you've heard of uh, John Madden. Have you heard of John Madden? I did, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. so you probably know Madden from the football game, the NFL football game. Uh, so originally he was a coach with the Oakland Raiders, and I think he has the highest win percentage of any NFL coach. And then he went into broadcasting for years. He was at all the major networks uh, doing broadcasting. And then he was involved in the creation of the NFL Madden game as well. Um, so quite the career. And he died. He passed away there recently. I think it was last year. Um, so it's probably an icon of uh, American football and someone who's made made it what it is today. So uh, rest in peace to uh, John Madden. Uh, yes, that's all really. Um, yeah, it's all really uh, with the NFL this week. The headlines there, Robbie, was Big Ben is clocking out for the last time. Yeah, Big Ben, yeah. <laughs> Brown loses the shirt off his back. Yeah. Uh, sorry <laughs> about that. <laughs> um, yeah, that's why I never made it in the paper industry anyway. But uh, yeah, I know uh, the World Starts Championship concluded there last night with Peter I claiming the World Championship for the second time and um, the second time in third it sorry two years uh, he defeated michael smith michael smith a uh, real up and coming dark player would have been really been fancied um for that game last night but his doubles let him down um michael smith went five four ahead it was first to seven uh, but people right went on a rampage and claimed five out of six uh, legs and ended up winning uh, seven five. And uh, as disappointed I'd be for Michael Smith, I always had a high regard for Peter Wright as well. So it's um, 
I was kind of delighted there. The BDO World Championship was meant to be taking place. It's the kind of the lower down from the PDC. Um, it has changed its name. I forget um, what it is, but that has been postponed to April. But um, the likes of Raymond Van Varneveld, um, Phil Taylor and all of that would begin at that rank and also uh, bunting and that so that will take place in April. Uh, but that's the roundup for darts. Um, there's meant to be a couple of competitions coming up in Ireland this year. The the um the league um uh, it's not the Premier League. I forget the name of it. Um, but it's meant to be coming, and also um the gram uh, the. Uh, Grand Prix as well. Uh, it's meant to be in Dublin. I know I have the names wrong, but they're two major tournaments uh, to be either in the Tree Arena or the City West. But hopefully they get to go ahead to be around, I say, April, May time. And then there's one um, towards the end of the year as well. So hopefully they get to go ahead. Uh, but yeah, that's my world sports roundup for this week. We move on to the high ball, Robbie. Oh, the highball. The highball, woo! Um, so the highball this week, I was saying off air, I'm not sure if it's a good one, but it's just something popped into my head, which is usually stupid anyway. But if you could be adopted by one cartoon family, so I will name the families, so be the Simpsons, uh, uh, the Griffins, uh, the Smiths out of American Dad, are um, uh, King of the Hill, the Hills. Uh, which family would you love to be adopted by? Well, I was thinking, you know, one of the other options until you said uh, King of the Hill. Uh, <laughs> that is low-key, uh, such a great show. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, maybe some people maybe haven't heard of it before, but um, yeah, it's a, it's a quality uh, TV show and... Yeah, just love. I love Hank. There's so many good characters. There's uh, Dale. He's like he's probably your conspiracy theorist uh, sort of guy as well. Just so many really great characters in there, um, and so many great lines. It's, it's a very different type of humor. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, definitely, I, I prefer to be in, you know, selling propane um, as opposed to any other options. Yeah. And, and my name is Robbie, so you could just slot in there for Bobby, you know. <laughs> Yeah, no, I'd agree with you. I, I used to love King of the Hill. I haven't seen it in years, but yeah, I'd be definitely adopted by the Hills. Actually, there's a friend of mine. Um, he's in Uganda at the moment. Uh, Danny reads his name and his nickname used to be Bobby Hill in school. Um, yeah. So yeah, a shout out to Danny. They're doing great work over with uh, Pearl Uganda. Um so yeah, no, I'd be definitely definitely the hills. If I was to pick a second one, I'd have to go with Simpsons. I just there's something about Homer Simpson. I think um he's the likable rogue. Uh, so um yeah, if I had a second choice, but I'd definitely go with King of the Hill. Um what would be your favorite one? Or I think you might have seen it already, so maybe I'm wasting the question. Which would be your favourite uh, family out of the lot or fav- favourite uh, show out of the ones mentioned there? 
Um, probably my favorite show. Yeah, like I love I love The Simpsons for such a long time. Um, you know, more as a as a kid though. So I would say that I'd have to go with Family Guy. Uh, would probably be my my favorite option. Um, like and basically it all boils down to everybody how everybody treats Meg. Uh, it's just so <laughs> it's just so funny. Um. Like there was the one doing doing around there where I think Meg was saying something to somebody, and then Peter goes, "Meg, who let you back in the house?" It was just, <laughs> no, it's just such great humor, and they have um, is Amelia Kunis as a voice as well, which is pretty cool. Um, yeah, yeah. So I think maybe my favorite one overall, like American Dad, is pretty good, but maybe not as consistent as Family Guy, and definitely The Simpsons, uh, like fell off. Um, I think it's still going actually but it's still falling off um i don't know if any of the newer episodes are any good but um yeah definitely the family i'd want to be adopted by would be the hills but uh, my favorite one would be um family guy and peter peter griffin yeah i know i'd agree with you as well i just think seth mcfarland's an absolute genius um i would have watched a good lot of uh, videos of him on youtube and the way he does the voices and he's just a funny guy um and the character of stewie even though i won't lie some of the stuff he comes out with is really (laughs) rough um i i just i just love the show and yeah that'd be my favorite i love the simpsons as well but i agree with what you're saying it it just kind of goes away a bit but still you'd watch it you'd still revert back and watch it that's what i find but uh yeah family guy or even american dad um another one by said mcfarlane as well um it i find good as well but yeah my favorite a lot has to be family guy and uh yeah that's it uh a pleasure as always robbie i really enjoyed that tonight and um yeah i know it's great to have the first one of the new year and our third third year in the podcast as well so hopefully it's just onwards and upwards from here yeah we're like uh, COVID-19 you just can't get rid of us yeah yeah and make it funny we're found in the middle of COVID lockdown as well so uh, we we promise we won't disappear hopefully the way the virus will anyway if you want to contact us on the podcast you can do so through Facebook and Instagram and Robbie is doing terrific stuff on Instagram and you can check out our website as well, twohandsandahurlpod.wixsite.com forward slash podcasts as well. And I do promise that we will add stuff to uh, that website as well. They are links to the po- all episodes of the podcast as well. But until next week, Robbie, it was a pleasure and happy new year and talk to you soon. Yeah, have a good one, Teach. Great chats. Good man. Same to you. Happy New Year to all the listeners and talk soon. Thanks a million for tuning in. Cool. Good luck, good luck, good luck. Bye, good bye, luck. Bye. Good luck.